cheers on that. Cheers. Fourth, Tink. Fourth episode. A month anniversary. A month anniversary shot. Oh man. Month anniversary shots of fireball. Wash it down with some wine. Oh, you hold it in your mouth thinking. Why would you hold it in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Okay. All right. (laughs) You said okay like you had something to open with. This is good. This is good radio. Happening. One of the things in radio I remember doing that you you know because you didn't you didn't want them to hear you breathing. I mean that was a big thing that you would right. Oh, you would like move. You wouldn't just breathe quieter. Well, like if you just ran back from the bathroom because you had like a three minute record on or a whatever, and you had to go <laughs> run down the hallway to go because the bathroom was all the way at the other end of the hallway. <laughs> So that seems like there. poor planning, yeah. I know. They weren't thinking of the radio people at that just, time. You just get a pee bottle at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that was the olden days. We didn't do that kind of gross stuff. One of those stuff. glass Coke bottles <laughs> that, you, that you drink at the, the wine, drive-in. <laughs> the wine skins that yeah, we Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just emptied. Okay. Are you ready? I'm Let's ready. Let's we'll start us off. I never know how to do that. <laughs> Hello. Is that what you did last time? Yeah. That didn't work. Let's try something different. All right. Bonjour. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you nailed it. That one. (laughs) It's so good to have you with us for Freudian Sips. Episode four. Four. Episode four. We just did a month anniversary shot. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. A fireball. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't talk very well. Yeah, we're still still recovering a little bit. Good stuff. Uh, Mommy. Anna. What's our... uh, What's our episode topic today? Today we decided, because our first episode we talked about Freud, we talked about his theory, and then we kind of went away from that and did a couple other very interesting topics. So if you have not heard that, you <laughs> totally really, unbiased, very interesting. <laughs> you really should listen to episodes one, two, and three. If you're just listening to this and you go, huh, this is kind of cool, you might want to go back and listen to the other ones if you haven't. We've only got four episodes. You can do it chronologically. That's right. It's not like we have a big backlog. Right. It's a good thing you're jumping in now, so you don't have to have a whole bunch. But today we're going to talk about theorist Carl Jung. That's how I see it. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. <laughs> Carl Jung? Nope. Carl Jung. Most people say Carl Jung. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Carl. I like to add a little a little pizzazz to it. Like Carl Jung. Jung. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> also, not how you say that. <laughs> All right, you're so strict. I know. So Carl Jung, yeah. Yeah. Who was he? He was, you know, I shouldn't really talk about Carl because I don't know near as much as you. But But you're on a first name basis. I will say (laughs) (laughs) that Carl was 
was one of, shall I call him a student of Freud or a peer of Freud? Some people call him a disciple. Like, they were tight. He's, I mean, we talked in our first episode about Neo-Freudians, and Carl Jung was basically the head of the Neo-Freudians. He was... He branched off directly from Freud's theories. So he's he's really close to psychoanalysis in the history of psychology. Indeed. So he founded what is called now analytic psychology. I don't exactly know why. Maybe when you get more into the theories, we can figure out why it's called that. I didn't, I don't really have a good grasp on why it's called analytic. But Carl, because you're calling him Carl, I'll call him Carl. Carl Jung was born on July 26th in the Swiss village of Quessel. Um, it was 1875. Que- <laughs> Are you laughing what? Quessel? Quessel. <laughs> it's, see, he should I, be I Carl actually didn't Schmann. say it right. It was Kesswell. Kess- Kess- no, they don't say their W's like V's. Uh, my husband was here. He would correct me. Swiss people. <laughs> K-E-S-S-W-I-L. Kessel? Sounds Kessel. good to Kessel. me. He did the Kessel run in 23 parsecs. <laughs> So he, he did study medicine. You were saying he studied anthropology. I didn't see that. Where did you find that? On the internet? On the internet and everything is true there. <laughs> right. Legally, we can't lie on the internet. <laughs> I, I had read that some of his uh, theories were rooted in his study of anthropology, which we'll come back to. Right. We'll come back around to that right. idea. Yeah. He originally didn't want to study psych. He then found out that psychoses are personality disorders and he was really interested because that combined the biological and the spiritual both of which he was really interested in so Mm -hmm. he eventually decided to go into psych because that caught his interest fun fact he was a resident under um i'm gonna say eugene there's no e on the end eugene bluler I'm Am so I sorry. To know that this name? man, I'm so sorry. You're Whatever saying, his name is, I'm so like... sorry. No, he coined the term schizophrenia, autism. He coined a lot of the psychology terms that oh, we know today. Important dude. Yeah. That's who I'm I've not... never heard of, which is weird, right? But... You would think that we would know more about Bluler. 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 That's. What I always think of when I see his name. Maybe that's why he's not famous, because Ferris took all his thunder. So Carl did some early like fame getting research. He originally also didn't want to go into psychiatry or psychology or whatever they were calling it then because it wasn't very prestigious, which is kind of what we talked about in the Freud episode too, Mm -hmm. that Freud was really looking for prestige in the medicine field and psychology wasn't really where you got that. But Freud kind of made it a prestigious thing by putting it into the public eye and, and Jung didn't want to do that because it wasn't prestigious enough. But he was interested in the subject matter, so he started studying that. So he did some research early on about doing, he did word association tests on, they call it psychotics. We would call it now persons with with psychotic symptoms, like person first language. People with mental health. Right. So he did some word association tests on on, uh, people with psychosis, and he kind of got a little bit of name recognition from that. He then became acquainted with Freud's work through the interpretation of dreams, which, as we know from our first episode, spoiler for our first episode, <laughs> not really a spoiler, it doesn't matter. No, um, it's, an, it's a, it's a teaser. What, a teaser, yeah. Teaser. You really uh, should listen to the first episode. You really should. 
So the interpretation of dreams was something that Freud did actually later in his career. It was when he was analyzing himself and basically like, I don't trust anyone else to analyze my dreams as good as I can. So he started doing that for himself and his interpretation of dreams is what came of that. And because of that, they started corresponding. Jung was basically like, hey, I've seen your work. I really like it. And they corresponded just for a long time before they met. And the first time they met, they talked for 13 hours. Wow. I know. They, they hit it off. That's a serious bromance going I on I know. There. That's amazing. I know. But it took a dark turn very fast. <gasps> oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> what happened? So Jung didn't really want a mentor. He came to Freud and he basically said, he said, let me enjoy your friendship, not as one between equals, but as that of father and son. Aw. You say aw. But let's think about Freud for a second. Let's think about <laughs> Freud. That was not a good place what, to go with Freud. What did Freud say about fathers and sons? <laughs> Freud yeah. is the creator, if you're unaware, of the Oedipus Complex. Yep. And as a quick refresher, the Oedipus Complex is where a son has sexual feelings for his mother and is thus in conflict with his father to the point that he wants to cause harm or possibly kill his father. So imagine a guy coming to you when that's what you believe and saying, I want to be your son. And you're like, uh, I, don't want to, I don't know about that. <laughs> wee you, wee you. That alarm sound. <laughs> wee you, wee you. Worst alarm of the world. Bring out the alarms. Wee you. <laughs> Uh, I just like to make you make the alarm sound every episode (laughs) because it's so fun. It's awful. When you do the wee sound. And so Freud, eventually he did kind of come around to this idea. He he even called Jung his son and heir. Yeah, so he kind of came around to that. However, he developed a pretty harsh neuroses about it where he would, he thought of Jung as a rival Mm-hmm. He thought that Jung was out to get him, basically, because of his pretty deep-set Oedipus beliefs, unfortunately. And the cocaine didn't help. And the cocaine probably didn't help. But that's not actually what they split over. They split over pure theory. So as we know about Freud, he went really far into the sexual motivations behind people's actions, behind what they do and who they are. He called this the libido. Mm-hmm. And... We know of the libido because it's in the kind of lexicon, the cultural dictionary, as our sexual energy. Mm-hmm. You know, we call people having high libido or low libido based on the kind of amount of sex they want. Right. So libido is something we know as sex-based. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in our culture as sex-based. But what Jung said was libido is just creative life force. It's not necessarily sexual. Because what Freud was saying was the libido is sex-based and everyone is driven by their libido. And so everyone is driven by sex. Everyone is, their personalities are based in sex. And what Jung was saying was, no, it's just sort of the creative part or the motivation part. It's just, it's not necessarily sex. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where they split. I think that Jung was he was very caught up in his spirituality mm-hmm. in the idea of spirituality i think that a lot of his a lot of his theory is based in his I don't want to just keep saying spirituality, but it's not religion I, I was, it's that's more, what I was going to ask is yeah. it re- was he a religious person no 
Okay. I don't believe that he was. And he was very into the Eastern religions, if anything. So it was just spirit, general spirituality. spirituality. But I mean, I think that even, it's weird because how that can even be taken into other, okay, then I'm going to go to the word religions, that the idea of libido, the idea of our sex drive is not just purely for sex. Because right. that's a kind of a, a religious thing that many religions, many faiths believe that God gives us sex as a creativity thing to recreate, right. to procreate, right. to, to have babies. So creating, not necessarily create creating like, yeah, imaginative yeah. creating, right. but creating life. <laughs> right. Not like if you have high libido, you have really good ideas for what your art project is going to be next. Right. Yeah. But it's that, that creative, like bringing new life kind right. of thing. And that's a very spiritual thing. Right. So. Well, and it's, if you're not spiritual, that's pretty based in evolution and stuff where mm-hmm. your sex drive is a pretty integral part of you just because that's pretty evolutionary. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be spiritual and believe in evolution, but that's, that's you know, science and spirituality. It, it you know, the sex drive is part of both of those. Right. But I think you're right that he didn't want to just focus on the sex because right. of his kind of loftier, higher Ooh, ideals. That's a, good, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. I think that that's, I mean, he, Carl and I didn't <laughs> talk about this. But. While you were making out because you call him <laughs> Carl? <laughs> that is quite a leak in assumption. <laughs> I know you think I'm old, but I'm How was Carl old. when he was alive? How was he? <laughs> How old was he? How old? When was he Carl was alive again? Born in 1875. Good Lord, Anna. That's really putting me back there. <laughs> no, my point is that I do believe that just from, from what we've read and and – because like I said, I haven't actually talked to Carl about this, but I do think <laughs> that some of his um, pulling away from Freud was that his ideas were lofty, as you say it. Right. Where They weren't as, as, as easy to prove and they weren't as like fact-based. They were a little out there. Yeah, they were a like, little Like we out there. think of Freud as out there for the reasons of just being so focused on sex right. is a little weird. It's, it raises some red flags. Unique. It's yeah, unique. it's unique. <laughs> certainly unique but i mean young had his own his own stuff that was that was pretty out there and pretty again he was one of the pioneers being a neo freudian he was in the first stages of us developing psychological theory so he had his own weird out there stuff Indeed. and i think he was more spiritually out there than as opposed to sexually out there like I freud agree. was i agree so i think that's part of it so they had a nasty breakup they did it mm. got it got it got bad they kind of gradually pulled away from each other. They eventually stopped corresponding in 1912. And then it says in 1914, they cut each other off entirely. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how they were, if they were still seeing each other. Well, it, it was kind of <laughs> still seeing each other. It was a little bit awkward because Freud had just nominated Jung as the leader of the International Psychoanalytic Association. Ooh. So they were... They were colleagues, work colleagues, not just not just personal friends. So they kind of had to cut each other off, and that means cutting work colleagues off, which mm-hmm. is a hard line to draw. But he nominated Young to be the first president of the IPA, and then wow. it was yeah, yeah. He was his, I think he was his first major kind of follower. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, you already said that he wanted he expressed that it was like a father son kind of yeah. thing. So from from Young's point of view, that was 
in his spiritual outlook and the loftier thoughts. Mm-hmm. That was pretty intense. Right. So, I mean, to break up that relationship was pretty yeah. significant. So yeah. he so he went through a time of grief over that. Deep depression. Uh, it, it says it plunged young into like a three-year kind of dark period. And... <laughs> This is this is how it qualifies it. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing in this dark period. That's very bad. I'm <laughs> That's sorry. That's good when you laugh I'm laughing. at that reference. I'm laughing because of the way they describe it as like, they say he was so depressed he couldn't even read scientific books. <laughs> That's when I know I'm depressed. <laughs> Ooh, I was going to oh read that God. big fat technology text I know, that I just, have there. Oh, I can't read my biology textbook. I, I must be so depressed. So... <laughs> He was a nerd. He yeah. was a nerd just like Freud was a nerd. Not as bad as Freud. Freud was more of a nerd, but Jung was a nerd. Um, Jung was a neo-nerd. Neo-nerd. Oh, no. Yeah. Neo-nerd. <laughs> so during this dark period, he kind of started doing some uh, hot and heavy introspection, really looking at himself, at the way his own thoughts worked, and... That's how he eventually started to develop his own theory of personality that that we're going to be talking about. And he continued to develop that until his death in 1961. So again, they stopped talking in 1914. And he started, yeah, he started this, you know, a couple years after that. So he was developing this for like 45 years. Wow. This theory that, so there's there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. So where do you want to start? How about if we start about how, uh, very briefly, about like his theory of our personality mirrors the id, superego, ego thing? Because there's a real mirror effect there. There is. So he called this the four archetypes of self. They basically correspond to id, ego, superego. But in none of the things I read did it say like, this corresponds to the ego. It just, he wanted to be separate from that. But Mm -hmm. you can really see it reflected. The first of these archetypes is the persona. We know that word. We use that word as basically what it is, which he called it kind of the mask we wear, the person that we present to others, the image that we project. That kind of corresponds to the superego. Right. That the superego is the part of us that guides us on how to act for others Mm -hmm. within society. So again, this persona is the person that we're projecting because that's what we think others want us to be. Right. So there's that. The shadow is what he called the dark side of us, the aspects that we don't want to acknowledge about ourselves. And that kind of sounds like id because the id is like our base desires and, and our, the, you know, we generally use id, if you buy into that term, we use it as kind of a derogatory thing, like you're id based and you're you're just you're your base desires, and we kind of don't think of it in a good light. In one of my textbooks, it does say literally like the id in oh, Freud. Okay, it does. It says this is the animal side of our personality, like the id in Freud, the source of both our creative and destructive energies. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the shadow, the part of you that makes you drink a fireball shot before you. <laughs> It's a podcast called Freudian Sips. I think we're, I think it's warranted. I like that name though, Shadow. I do too. I like it better than id. Yeah, me too. Good job, Carl. <laughs> I will give you a sticker. Carl. Here. Where are our stickers? 
I don't know where our stickers are. Put our stickers away. Put our stickers away. Uh, the next part is the self. And so that's kind of the synthesis of all of our components of our personality. The self is kind of the whole of who we are. And if we're equating that to Freudian concepts, it's kind of like the ego, which balances out our superego and id and kind of is who we really are that's fighting the base desires of the id and also being tamped down by the societal pressures of the superego. So the self is kind of egoish. You explained that very well. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you were saying something before we started recording about the anima and animus. Do you want to tell us what those are? Mm, mm. It's kind of a deep. It is deep. When I first read it, I thought it was something that wasn't. And then I read it again and I said, oh, that's less cool than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, so it's basically like our mirror image of the gender that we identify with it would be the mirror image of that right. that is also in us. Yeah. So when he created this, quite frankly, there was not near as much information about, I mean, it, it, let's just face it. In Carl Jung's day, if you were born with female parts, we assumed that you identified female. Right. And if you were born with was, male parts, we assumed yeah. you, so therefore. Much less sensitivity about that right, kind of we thing. Right, we had not grown to the point we've grown to in psychology today about those right. issues. So for him, like f- uh, for me as a, as a female, that I, my animus is that part of me that is actually male. Masculine. You know, yeah, masculine. That's a better way to say yeah. it. And then the opposite. If there were a male person um, and, and the part of him that was female, feminine mm-hmm. is a better word for mm-hmm. it, is the animus. And that the idea that and and this part of that concept is very modern in a way that we kind of basically all have all of it. Right. We yeah. all. That's the part that confused me when I read it. Because so when I said before, like the four archetypes, so it's persona, shadow, self, and then either anima or animus. Mm-hmm. Like we each have four, even though there's five listed because you only have Whatever one. Whatever is the opposite right. of us. Yeah. You only have either anima or animus. So when I first read it, I thought, wow, that's really progressive in that he's saying that we both have or that we all have both, both of these things. He's not really saying that. Like the more places I read it, the weirder it sounded. Like I read one place that said, well, if you're a man, you have anima, which is your feminine unconscious, which makes it so you can talk to women, which is the weirdest way you could possibly phrase that. I don't really get that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where I to go with that. I don't know. Well, I guess you could look at it like it's it's your internal feminine that makes you empathize with with women and therefore you can empathize with them and therefore be communicate with them easier, more easily. I guess. But that gender is a social construct. Incorrect. And like... That's true. It's, it's just, it's, again, it's taking into account the time where that was viewed as being based in our biology, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Where we know that's not really the case so much. But yeah, those are the... But I had to I had to be honest with you because I... And Anna, I told you this, you know, yesterday when we were kind of preparing for the podcast that I I have read a lot about Young. And yet when I, I read a lot about him and we, and we talked about him a lot in school. Right. But I it's like I can't quite get my brain around him. I can't quite process the way he process you know i i, I don't feel think like that's because his brain worked very differently <laughs> i think he had like we Thank said you. he had a lot i'm of, normal and he's not yeah, no. There, no that's it that's what i was saying 
he just had a lot of kind of like we said those lofty ideas and those mm-hmm. kind of out there ideas that he and we haven't even gotten to some of the more oh, lofty no. ideas oh, no. yeah. so he definitely went in a way different direction than freud but kind of on the same level of like really really that's what you're going with for the whole theory of personality mm-hmm. that's what you're going with yeah 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 so those are kind of the four main components of self when right. we when we talk about his theory of personality, that's the basis of it. And again, very reminiscent of it, ego, superego. That's inevitable since he was so closely related to Freud. Right. So to me, like when I when I hear Jung, I think of the archetypes. That's the big thing yeah. that comes to my mind. And also just the, you know, the specifically the extrovert and the introvert, which we'll talk about eventually. Well, Those, let's talk about that now. Let's go there. You want to go there now? Yeah. So yeah, Carl. <laughs> was the, was kind of <laughs> I just say that now because it annoys Anna. Carl was really kind of the one who came up, actually, literally came up with the terms for uh, extroversion and introversion, and it started out very narrowly, you know, and has now grown, just like a lot of of yeah. our theories. It's still pretty. It's pretty pretty. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's another. You know, last week we talked about that there are certain terms in psychology that we've kind of taken into society and misuse last last episode we talked about phobias and mm-hmm. how we kind of misuse that word sometimes plug for episode three go oh, listen to that oh, one too yeah. not in the to... middle not right now listen to this one <laughs> the rest finish of this, one this first. one first finish this one first go back so we do often in society today we throw those words around what are you looking at lots of bubbles in this one i know we, we're having very classy wine today on freudian sips it's from a box it's wine a la box <laughs> <laughs> Vino del Boxo. There you go. It tastes really good. It just has a lot of foam on it. It's fresh. It's very fresh. It's a very good year. And that it's year probably is 2019. Like last week. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good year. Yes, it is very fresh. Like they just stepped on the grapes in the bathtub yeah. last week. In the bathtub. <laughs> That's exactly where they stepped on these grapes. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. Smooth and sweet, according to the box. Just it- like us. We're smooth and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> speak for yourself <laughs> i'm smooth i'm your rough sweet. and i don't know what the other word is yes it's supposed to be delicious blush wine it's which, blush which i i apparently also am delicious blush i was told the other day at work that i'm a red facer and that, that means that when i show any emotion my face gets red automatically it's because i have this stupid red hair it's because you're a ginger it's a ginger you a ginger. You got those ginger jeans. You do. Sorry, I distracted you. Our veins, our arteries are very close to the skin. <laughs> <laughs> the skin's just so pale that it has no shielding. I lost my train of thought. Oh, extroverts and introverts is the kind of we throw around. So yes. we automatically think, okay, if you're an extrovert, it means you like to go out there and be your parties and, and you're loud and boisterous. You and like to talk to people. You just like to have a thousand right. friends. But deeper than that, an extrovert actually gets their energy from being around other people. That's how mm-hmm. they're recharged. So that's something sometimes we overlook because you might like going to parties and stuff, but it might actually take your energy away from you to be at those parties. So that changes it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the bottom line is, is as we look at these is that it's not like everybody in the world is either an extrovert or an introvert. There's- yeah, that's how a lot of people – and you and I have had this conversation because – We'll probably do a, an MBTI episode at some point. That's the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which is things that psychologists use sometimes where you have like a four-letter code and basically that's your personality type. And you and I have talked about how 
it's very hard to fit us in introvert or extrovert. Mm -hmm. I think we're both kind of like this, that whenever I take one of those tests, I come out as an introvert. But I also like to talk to people. I mean, I'm in a profession where I talk to people all mm -hmm. day. Um, so I think that it's a hard line to walk where you can kind of be both. And again, you can have aspects of both in yourself. So it's not necessarily a one or the other thing. Did he think it was a one or the other thing? He kind of kept it a one or the other. Oh, okay. But since him, we have, you know, it has it has evolved. Right. And so now we even use the terms ambivert, oh, yeah. omnivert. Um, so, am, uh, so let me say with this first, extrovert. So extrovert is the one who is... He is obviously outgoing in public and that they are recharged by being around other people. They get, And it doesn't even need to be like a big group of people, but just mm -hmm. like if you know that you go and have lunch with your girlfriends or, or your guy friends or however that works for you, and then after lunch you're all charged up because you were with them and you're like, blah, 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 whatever, right. and you got your energy. So that's extrovert. And then introvert, we kind of think of that almost as an opposite in that is a person who might be the one who's at the party kind of sitting off to the side and quiet. We think of them as being more shy, not as outspoken. Right. Um, and, and the big, but the biggest part of that is that it actually kind of pulls their energy out mm -hmm. and away from them when they're around a lot of people. So when they are around a lot of people, it might not be so much, I mean, some, some people who are introverted might actually feel not comfortable in a lot of people, but, but another end of that uh, in that same spectrum would be just that, man, you're exhausted. Right. Like, it's not that if you're an introvert, you don't like social situations because we're, I mean, we're humans. We are social creatures. So we're going to eventually need those social interactions. But once we do it, like if we do go out to lunch with our friends, when we come back, it's, oh my gosh, I just want to be at home and not talk to anyone for half an mm -hmm. hour. Exactly. Like, I just need to sit down and be quiet. So that's kind of where the introversion right. comes in more. So, so this new term that they've added, the ambivert, ambivert. You say that with such derision. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that was a compliment, but I'm going to say don't know thank what you means anyway. To <laughs> I will look that word up All later. Right. <laughs> um, those of us, and I, I'm going to say us because I think this is me. Mm -hmm. That we do, there are times we like to be the life of the party and we are all about the bubbly bubbly, but there's also times. The bubbly bubbly just like our wine. <laughs> but there's also times that we really need to be alone. We need yeah. to be quiet. We need to, and, and that we get charged by deep. I always kind of have in my brain this thing that introverts are deeper thinkers, which is not very fair because well, some it's extroverts are It's not fair, but that's what is kind of the cultural portrayal right. of it is that right. the quieter ones are more... You know, my mom used to say, still water runs deep. Mm -hmm. Well, the ocean has a lot of waves, so I don't know <laughs> if that's exactly a good <laughs> illustration. Don't be sassing your mama. <laughs> sorry, She mama. knew sorry. what she was talking sorry. about. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. So ambiverts are, are basically people who have both characteristics. Which I think we're all, to some extent, ambiverts. Yeah. It's a, I, I it's a spectrum. I agree. Just like gender I agree. and sexuality. That's yeah. really true. And, um, and the last term that sometimes gets thrown around in the same category is omnivert, which, you know, omni in the sense means like many. So actually the way that they define that was a person who changes at different stages. Usually it's different stages in your life. So like when you were a kid, you were an introvert and you were really shy. But then in high school, you were like, woo, life of the party. Uh, again, I feel like that's just sort of everyone, right? That we just change a little right, bit. Right. I, that's just growth. I don't know. It's Evolution, weird to have a term for that. <laughs> hey, 
It's on the internet. Okay. It can't be false. It's on the internet. Illegal to be false. But my, my favorite thing about what you said, though, is, and I, I completely agree with that, too, is that this is like a continuum. It's like a spectrum, mm-hmm. like so many other things in mental health that we all fall on there somewhere on that spectrum. So, right. but, but we want to give a shout out. <laughs> we're talking about Freud. Or, or no, we're not talking about We're talking about Young. Young. So. Yes. Oh, Young would not have been happy that you so had a sorry, Freudian young. slip. It was a Freudian <laughs> slip. I'm so sorry. Carl. Carl. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you better be calling him Carl now. <laughs> you dissed him. Sh- talking shit about your dad. Um, don't be talking about him like that. So, but he is the one that we attribute yes. this, the, that terminology to. Okay, that's done. <laughs> done. Mark it off. Check it off. Box. All right. What's next? Talk about the archetypes. Uh, you want me to? Yeah, like dive in. Like, well, wait, like, no, no, no. I think before we talk about, we need to talk about the collective unconscious, but before oh, we talk. Oh, man. I know, I'm sorry. I know you Dude. don't want to because it's too deep, but it's <laughs> Dude. to understand. I the, think I need another shot of fireball before we talk about this. Do we do that on air? <laughs> I don't know. Seriously. No? I don't think I <laughs> All right. Fine. I am going to get some we'll more wine, them. though, while okay. you start to talk about this. Okay. It will take a minute. Okay. So I don't know what you have in your notes, but the collective unconscious, as far as, as, far as I know, is where Young thought our personality comes from. Like he, what are you doing? What'd you just do? Did you just spill on my rug? No. Oh, okay. That's classy. I can't. <laughs> Wine out of a box is so classy <laughs> that I cannot contain my joy. I got that you, joy, joy, You acted joy, like you joy. had done something bad. Well, it was like, shoot now beside. <laughs> it's like, it's almost like tapping a, like a keg. It's like a soda keg. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought when you first opened it. So, the collective unconscious is different. Let me talk about the personal unconscious first. Okay. Because the personal unconscious is the experiences that we personally have had. And this kind of goes back to one of Freud's things as well, which is the repression thing. Right. So, the, the personal unconscious is that we are who we are because of all of the experiences we have had. Mom, why are you laughing? What are you laughing about? <laughs> I didn't say anything funny. You don't laugh when I no. say anything funny. <laughs> You're so serious. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I just kind of have I the giggles. I think I need to take another shot and you need to not. <laughs> I just have the giggles. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. It's, it's like fine. the church giggles, except it's I. It's the podcast it's the giggles. podcast giggles. Okay. I'll chug my wine while no. you talk about okay. yourself. No. So, yes, it's very much, it's very Freudian, mm-hmm. that, that sense of... That our memories are part of our unconscious. We go back to what we talked about in episode one, which is that our unconscious is like the bottom of that iceberg, and right. it's huge. So the conscious sticks out above and the water. And even though we're not aware of it, it makes up all of who we are. Right. And we, we gain all of our experiences from that, and right. that we can't really avoid that because we have lived through those things, and they're all in our unconscious. And so he called that our personal. Yeah. That's different than our collective unconscious, which mom will talk about now. Oh, <laughs> that is so not fair. <laughs> okay, so the way I look at the collective unconscious is that it is a very spiritual thing. Although that's not exactly the way it's always described, but that's just the way I'm choosing to look at it because it's the idea that everyone who came, you know what I think of when I think of this is like, remember that that Disney film Mulan? 
Yeah. If anyone hasn't seen this, you need to watch it because it's a really cool... <laughs> it's Disney, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So shout out for Disney. Shout out for Disney. Um, if you've never seen this Disney movie. You really should watch it. In in Mulan, they have this kind of ongoing thing about her ancestors, which is for many of us in the West, we don't have that same idea of our ancestors being there. Yeah. You know, kind yeah, of... Yeah, we kind of lost that. Yeah. In, in Eastern religion, that's very much a part of that. And which right. was big for young. Carl was digging on the Eastern religions so um which if you've never looked into eastern religions they're very cool and they have a lot of really cool ideas very interesting yeah so the whole idea of our ancestors being part of us so to speak actually in the catholic religion (laughs) i'm aware of the catholic religion yes i've heard of it (laughs) we have the communion of saints which is kind of like all of our ancestors and all those who have gone before us are all in this family of God. So it's kind of like one of them, which actually segues very well. Mom's making I wish- so many hand motions and we're on an audio-based program. It's just for you. Okay, I'm very entertained, but our listeners have no idea what's going on. It's making me cough. Sorry. Okay, the, the idea that, oh man, I had a really good thought. And I get this. The idea that our ancestors give us this knowledge that is part of who we are. Thank you. You do the R motions okay. and maybe I'll remember our them. ancestors and part of who we ancestors. The idea that what, what he believed was that all of humankind are plugged in. Oh, it's kind of like, boy, I'm going to movie it's references. It's like a hive mind kind of thing. Are you going to go Matrix way? Yes, yes. Yeah. Matrix thing. Like, exactly. And so we're all plugged into this ancient consciousness that has gone through all of humankind now to me even though he kept it like trying to make it look very scientific to me that's very spiritual yeah that's way out mystical yeah that's a better word for it i think mystical it's it's out there Mm -hmm. it's kind of a weird idea yeah but again this is this would be like way deep in our if you want to use freud's words in our subconscious so we're not like all the time aware of this feeling. Like my ancestors are telling me that we should do this. Right, right. It's very... That would make life a lot easier. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. It was just like my great-great-grandpa is saying I should do my taxes now. <laughs> That's right. Which I need because every single time I hear taxes, I'm like, shit. It's <laughs> coming up. I need my taxes. Being an adult's hard. I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean. I would have been okay with you being a kid like for another 20 years And then so. we couldn't be doing a podcast where we drink together. That's true. Yeah. Pros and cons. Pros I know. And cons. Gotta wait. Pros and cons. The oh. bottom line of this. It even uni- says in my book, Mystical. Oh, does it? Yeah. When it talks about the collective unconscious, See? it talks about it was Young's most mystical and controversial concept, mm-hmm. but is most important. Again, this is where in Young's mind, all of our personality comes from. Mm-hmm. We are not who we are without the collective unconsciousness of everyone that has come before us. That is deep, isn't it? It's weird. I was so I was comparing this when we were talking before to um the Assassin's Creed games. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's if, a good reference. If you've never heard of Assassin's Creed, it's a franchise of video games where you are the protagonist, you are being plugged into this machine that lets you relive your ancestors' memories and you have to basically relive the memories in the sequential order and you have to do certain tasks and it's basically like all of these memories that your ancestors have had are passed through your DNA, which isn't really where he was going with it. It's just kind of a 
cultural but again that's where it goes from scientific to mystic right he wasn't saying like it's coded into our dna which would be evolutionary because i think there is a part of it that's that it's a part of it where like last week when we talked about phobias i was thinking that exact same thing yeah oh i love when we think the same way (laughs) (laughs) bad (laughs) podcast noise i'm really sorry everyone uh we're just we're just doing finger guns and clicking our, our tongues at each other it's really bad Again, yeah, not a good last, audio. Yeah. Last week you talked about the snakes and that evolutionary and, and right. spiders, that we just have to be We're afraid like, of that. Yeah, even if you've never had an experience where you've been frightened by a snake or a spider, because I've known people who are phobic of snakes and it's like they never, like a snake never bit them or anything, mm-hmm. but because it's kind of evolutionary, we have that. So there is a part of this that is scientific, but I think when Young was talking about it, he was not talking about that at all. He was talking about the mystical things that we like inherit in our brains, like in our consciousness. And it that's where people he lost people, I think. He like, lost me. I don't <laughs> He sure lost us. I don't know if it'll make more sense or less sense when we're a little bit more tipsy. Probably more sense. Because that's so. how we'll mystical like, stuff is. Dude, I get oh, it. Man. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So the way I mean, you know, I think we're just gonna leave that there. Let's just leave that there. That that's a big thing for him. You don't have to get it necessarily. Yeah. And that's kind of where his other theories come from. Like Mm -hmm. you keep mentioning archetypes. And I I talked about, so like I called them the four archetypes, but I, that's kind of a word that's used differently in his other theories. So like the four things I mentioned before are kind of our personality concepts. But when we talk about archetypes, Jung talked about there being archetypal images archetypal events archetypal you know characters so like one of the things i i heard mentioned when talking about the archetypal images is like the image of a castle so like if we think of a castle we think of a fortress where like a treasure may be hidden you know so even if we don't really have the idea of what that is entirely it's kind of he would call it in the collective unconscious that we know what a castle is supposed to represent. Oh. It's kind of what these things represent for us in our collective unconscious. Do you want me to talk about the character archetypes? Or do you have more? No. Okay. Yeah, go go into the characters. Those are good. Because this is something that, I mean, I personally have been very interested in for a very long time. The character concepts are basically, there's there's 12 common character archetypes. And once I started talking about these, I I think, I believe that you listening to this will be able to say, oh, yeah, that's a common, you know, even if you don't use the term archetype, it's a common character type or character trope or whatever word you want to use for I that. I always think of like stereotypes. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, just certain, certain types of characters that we know and recognize very well. Mm-hmm. And what Jung would say about that is we recognize these type of characters because they're stored in our collective unconscious because that is such a common type of person or type of image or type of character that is in the culture that we have grown up in and been born out of mm-hmm. and it's not even culture he didn't really mention culture it's just world the entire world right like humans right so we know these types of characters because they are in our past they are built into our collective unconscious mm-hmm. So I'm going to go over the 12 most common. So like when you look up Jungian archetypes or character archetypes or 12 archetypes, like like I said, usually 12 of them. Right. Um, they go by a couple different names. So I'm going to try to go over what I, what I think they're called in different phrasings of it. So the first one, the hero. 
we all know this this archetype. It's the protagonist in every single movie. I'm going to, in honor of Freud and Jung, I'm going to try to be really nerdy with it and try to connect it with very nerdy characters. So when we think about the hero, we think about strength and courage and wanting to change the world. Uh, so I wrote down Luke Skywalker as the, <laughs> the archetypal hero of just wanting to change the world. But also, I mean, like Harry Potter. I mean, it's usually the protagonist has those like strength, courage, make a big difference kind of kind of values. So that's the hero archetype that we look to. The next one is usually used as a hero, which is the orphan, or it's called the everyman sometimes, or the regular guy or gal. So this is the character that's kind of representing just just baseline, or they have the desire to fit in and to belong and to find their place. And I wrote down Harry Potter for that one, too. I was just, you know, I was just literally sitting here thinking, doesn't Harry Potter fit into that better? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he is literally an orphan. He is literally yeah. an orphan. But he yeah. also has that, like, I want to belong. And that's kind of where the, like, got accepted into the magical world because he didn't feel like he fit in in the regular world. So that mm-hmm. he is very much the orphan archetype. But he's used also as the hero archetype because the hero and the orphan can have enough overlap And that's where this comes in almost immediately that we may not fit into one archetype very, very comfortably. And when we watch movies, we may not be able to say like, that's the hero and that's the orphan. That's the, the, the," because there's a lot of overlap. Are you standing Mm -hmm. up because you want more wine? No, I'm just standing up. You're standing up just because you're (laughs) I'm like one of those kids in classrooms who can't stay in their desk. Do you want an exercise ball to sit on? So the orphan is also sometimes used as like the sidekick character, but they also have a lot of overlap with the hero character. And as I go through these, like I I challenge you, especially when you look at like sagas and stuff like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, anything that's like kind of the epic hero's tale, like the traditional epic saga story a lot of these archetypes come into play because they are so common and especially in stories that are very long lasting people usually fall into these areas so we have the hero the orphan the next one is the mother and the mother archetype is is very common it's also called the caregiver because it doesn't necessarily have to be a lady so i wrote down samwise gamgee from the lord of the rings Sam, oh. are you familiar? You are being very things? nerdy. I know. Thank you. So, <laughs> so yeah, Sam. Sam, oh, that's a compliment. Like for Frodo you. is the hero character, and then Sam is very much the kind of the mother character that he takes care of Frodo. So, so can, we, can we say, "Oh, that's me too"? Can we do that? Oh, you want to archetype yourself? I'm not a mother. You're the mother. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're te- technically correct. Yeah. I mean, so much more than just being your mom. That's really my personality. You are very... Nur- the, and the key quality of the mother character is nurturing. That they're nurturing and yeah. they want to take care of others. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can be the, the caregiver archetype without being a mother. But I do think you are. You pretty much fit into the caregiver archetype. So is that one of the points of this, though? That we do kind of try to find ourself in one of these? Or, or parts of ourself? Or... I mean... Because it's an archetype, I think his idea is that it's an archetype. Not just, He wasn't thinking about media. He was thinking about people. Right. So I think he did think that people fall Every into these person, archetypes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we have the mother archetype, and then we have her kind of mirror, which is the maiden archetype. And this is often called the innocent because it is like their main quality is like their their childlike innocence and that they're very trusting and usually very naive. And that's kind of the sad thing about the innocent archetype is that they are usually broken 
Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of the point of the story. The mm-hmm. one that I wrote down was Scout Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, she's literally a child in the story, but she does have this this naive, this innocence. And over the course of the story, she kind of gets that broken. Mm-hmm. And she kind of sees that that's not, that's not really how the world works. I also wrote down Finn from the new Star Wars movies. Oh, yeah. 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 He's got that innocence. He's got that like, oh, my gosh, the world is so much bigger than... And then... He's cute. Especially in the latest movie, he kind of got that broken and he saw the dark underside of all this stuff. So the next one, The Rebel or Outlaw? Ooh. That's a fun one. This is very often the sidekick character because they act as a foil for the hero. So The Rebel or Outlaw, it's going against the grain. It's exactly, you know, what it sounds like. They want to... They want to change things, but not in the same way the hero wants to change things. And they can often be like the anti-hero mm-hmm. kind of situation where they maybe are probably going to do the right thing, but it's going to look real shady. <laughs> so who did I write down for this one? It's my favorite Star Wars character. The one that Harrison Ford played. Yeah, Han Solo, baby. There, I should know that, but Han I can Solo. just think Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. That's, <laughs> that's, I'll just sit here and think about yeah, that for yeah. a minute. It's, uh, he's definitely the rebel or the outlaw. He's literally an outlaw in the movies. So he, he plays a foil to Luke's hero character in mm. that he is still kind of an anti-hero, but he is going against the grain in a different way. And he was so hot while he did it. I mean, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good sidekick. Good sidekick. The next one's the explorer. This one is the person who's independent and looking for a full life and looking for for more that are out there and they wander around. And uh, for this one, I wrote down Indiana Jones because I was like, it's Harrison oh. Ford, it counts. <laughs> as long as we're thinking about That's it, let's fine. just keep thinking I, I had about just it. written it down for Han Solo. I was like, ah, I guess we'll just use him again. So just looking, looking for more. Okay. So the next one's The Lover. And this is the the person that's Harrison dri- Ford. I mean, <laughs> you wish. Yeah. Uh, oh. This is. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Their goal is like a relationship, and and they're driven by devotion and specifically passion. I mean, it is very much a romantic lover kind of situation. So, so it's not like a womanizer. It's like someone who actually. No, it's a romantic loves. love. Okay. Yeah. I, I, right. I mean, Romeo and Juliet would be probably the biggest okay. archetypes for these. I also wrote down Anakin Skywalker. From the prequels. Did he actually have a romantic? Yeah, he was married to Padme. Oh, duh. Okay. And then he was like going to the dark side so he could protect her. Oh, yeah. That was so sad. I know. That's a sad story. I know. It's a tragedy. It's one of the great tragedies (laughs) of our day, the prequel trilogy is. It is. (laughs) So we have the lover. Uh, The next one is the creator. And this is the drive to make something in pursuit of a higher goal. If I had to archetype young, it would be the creator because he was trying to create something in pursuit of a higher, loftier goal. Wow, that's deep. Thank you. Thank you. And this is one of the roles that usually turns villainous. Uh Uh-oh. Because this loftier goal could be something that's good, good intentioned, but the way they're they're going about it and the things they're creating can kind of turn sour. The one that I found for this when I was researching was Dr. Jekyll. Ah. Because he was trying to make something that was ultimately good, but... It turned into something bad. You could almost argue Hitler. Yikes, he wanted a dude. perfect society. He wanted it to be perfect. He wanted it to be dude, in his perception. We're only on episode four. We can't go to Hitler talk. <laughs> Sorry, we can't. I'll pull it back. I mean, the other the other <laughs> example I had was Willy Wonka. But sure, we can talk about Hitler. <laughs> Sorry. Do you want me to go to the next one? 
Yes, please. The next one's the jester. Oh, my. (laughs) Let's talk about the jester after we talk about Hitler. Hmm. So the jester is the comic relief character. They're also called the trickster. So, I mean, like, Loki, trickster god. Like, pretty much the first He turned out to be a really bad guy, though. Yeah. Yeah. But usually the comic relief is used in a good way. Mm -hmm. And usually they're one of the more insightful characters. Like, one of the things I read about the jester character archetype is that jesters use their comedy to like make really insightful commentaries about the things that are going on that's like both of my children <laughs> both of my children you are hear that game jester, jester archetypes do you think do you really think that is my archetype because i don't know what my archetype is see i think you have more than one well i think, I think everybody does. has yeah. more than one that plays on their personality but you're definitely a jester <laughs> thank you i hope so <laughs> and so is your brother so for this one, I wrote down the Weasley twins from Harry Potter. Ah. Yeah, that they... Yeah, see, you and Gabe are kind of like that. We're the Weasley twins. <laughs> We're twins that are four years apart. <laughs> and also, like, C-3PO and R2-D2 are kind of the oh. comic relief in Star Wars, but they also make pointed commentaries, especially R2, and he doesn't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one, Sage or the Mentor. And this is, again, I think when I was like, when we were talking about archetypes, this is the one that I use the like, when you see a movie and you see a mentor character, you can almost automatically connect with them because you're so familiar with what a mentor character is and what they're supposed to represent within the story. So I would say that's because we've seen enough media that we are familiar with that type of character. Right. What Young would say is that it doesn't matter how much media we've seen. It's because that is stored in our collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Even before we've seen any movie with a mentor character in it, it's in our brain. And when we see a movie with a mentor character in it, we automatically recognize that that's that type of character. It's weird, right? It's a little overwhelming. It's a little much. Yeah. Uh, the next one is the magician. Uh, this is wait a minute, mentor. Could that be Yoda? It can be Yoda. I wrote down Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, okay. I would almost put Yoda as a as a jester, as a trickster. Oh, especially the trickster, and especially in the new movies, he's okay. he's more of a like. Yeah, he gets a little goofy. He cackles every once in a yeah, while. You cackle yeah. if you're a trickster. That's true. That's just science. Cackling. Okay. Okay. Uh, yes, the mentor. Thank you for yes, the mentor. I would say is Obi Wan Kenobi. Some people would say Dumbledore, but Dumbledore's the worst. Don't add me. He's awful. He's the worst. You're giving me a look like you don't believe me. I will give you my dissertation on how Dumbledore is terrible later after we're not recording. Okay, let's do that. He's the worst. The magician? Send your hate mail to... (laughs) If you're a Dumbledore. Yeah, fine. You can add me. That's fine. This is a hill I will die on. It is a hill I'm prepared to die on. He's the worst. Okay. The next one is the magician. Uh, This is also called the shapeshifter sometimes. And basically they're seeking enlightenment and they often, the reason they're called the shapeshifter or magician is because they often seem like they're doing it with supernatural abilities. Like they are so, even if it's not supernatural, they're so talented that it seems godlike to the people around them. It seems like they're using magic. Hmm. So this is kind of the Sherlock Holmes archetype where, yeah, like they're getting knowledge and they're so talented that they seem godlike to people. Especially when it's Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) Mom's had one shot and two glasses of wine and she is feeling it. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) 
Okay, last one, number 12, is the ruler. They are about power and they are about control. So this is often a villain character. Oh, I was just going to say that could be me. Oh! <laughs> no. I, mean, I don't yeah. want to be the bad guy. You're, you're the ruler. I don't, I don't think you're about guy. power. I don't think that's your critique. I'm a little about control, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. A lot <laughs> about control. <laughs> so I would say this is, in Star Wars, this is like Emperor Palpatine, who is yeah. who is the, the antagonist, but Her. he wants power. Right. That's what he's searching for in his dark side adventures. Dark side adventures. That's a good, that's a good name for something, right? <laughs> Come to my indie band, Dark Side Adventures. <laughs> I also would put Princess Leia in this <gasps> archetype. Oh, she's, yeah, she was. She's very, pretty commandeering. Yeah. In a yeah, good way, she though. She's kind of the, the mirror of that. Yeah. Go, girl. Yeah. I often saw her put as the maiden archetype, which I think if she saw someone putting her as the maiden archetype, she would kick them in the face. She is so... I mean, the maiden is like innocence and, yeah. and like childlike wonder. Like, yeah. that's not her. Mm-mm. She was always pretty jaded. <laughs> well, yeah. And do you think that like within the show and she... During the time when she was the slave and that whole thing where it shifted from this... Like you said, the maiden to this like, whoa, sexy girl. Dude, the first scene we meet her in, she's just seen her like planet get exploded by a death ray. That's true. I don't think she really had innocence from the get-go. No, you're right. No, I think she's always been a very like, I mean, she's the general in the newer movies. I think she's always been that type that Mm -hmm. it's kind of the light side, but still based in power and control. Okay. That's 12. So how do we use that information... What does that mean to me today, Anna? <laughs> I mean, today when we're talking about it, we're just talking about what Young thought about personality. But right. but I do think this is something that is used in a lot of media. I think if you're aware of these archetypes, so if you are a creator, if you if you write or if you if you do any of that stuff that I think these are worth knowing because it can kind of be a guide on what types of characters your your writing will likely fall into. And I think that's a thing that some people do consciously use. And I think some people unconsciously use it. I think if we're writing a story that's kind of saga-like, that we will naturally use a mentor character. And I think almost every story will have a hero character and usually an outlaw character and usually a ruler character. I think that's just something that we naturally fall into. And again, like me and Young would have very different ideas on why that is. But I think it's, it's worth looking at. It's worth looking at the the types that happen in media Mm -hmm. that even if you're not a creator it's fun to watch a movie and see if you can kind of pinpoint these archetypes and like you said it's kind of fun to see if you fit in any archetype and then that's just kind of understanding yourself better and being able to to pinpoint the parts of your personality that maybe you weren't aware of that's good i like that okay that's what you wanted to (laughs) i was just talking until you like gave me an okay okay that's the right answer cool no, I found like, it. No, I like all of that that you said. Okay. But I think we've talked about that our our personal theory of being humanists that we and existentialists that we we are growing toward that self actualization of every day being more and more self aware. And what does self actualized mean, Mom? I know. I just want to make sure you know. <laughs> Coming into complete self awareness where everything I can't put this into words right now. <laughs> It is kind of a, to me, that's kind of a spiritual thing. For me personally, yes, yeah. that's a that's a very spiritual thing. Right. But just day to day, not only as counselors, but just as people every day that we want to grow to be more and more self-aware. So we talked about how everything that we talk about helps us to take a minute and look at ourselves and say, 
how does this apply to me? How does this affect how well I know myself and how that helps me to be the best person I can be by really knowing who I am and who I want to be? That's like a little cheer, cheer, cheer. (laughs) Do self-actualization. Do it. Okay, yeah. I think there are more that we didn't talk about. Is there anything Seriously? Ta- I think. What? There seems like a few things. Okay. Tell I don't me. know what they are. I feel like I sent you a list of things. <laughs> what else is on the list? The word that I can never say right, individuation. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> individuation. I'm not familiar with that term. Ooh, listen to the, how hard they, they describe it. The process of fulfillment of each individual, which negates neither the conscious or unconscious position, but does justice to them both. My head hurts. I know, dude. I am just saying. But it's basically like, as I see it, the, take the root of that word, that you're growing into being in an individual. So it's kind of a self-actualization Well, thing. that, but also kind of... And putting it all together. Developing your ego instead of right. your iteration of your ego, too. Like scooping it, balancing it all. Right. How's that? That's why I have to do all these actions with my hands. <laughs> Because the sunrise yeah, is not how, words. How you, you become your personal self instead of everyone exactly. else. Your personal self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's synchronicity. That's What's the that? last thing. Okay. Synchronicity. You want the big hoopy de doopy definition? No. <laughs> not if it's anything like, like the last hoopy de doopy. <laughs> That's how it is. So you tell me what synchronicity is. Well, when I think of synchronicity, I think of the phenomena where like if we buy a shirt and then we go out and we see other people like wearing that exact same color shirt and we're like, whoa, what's that about? That's what synchronicity is. We're synchronized. Is that is that it? Is it like related to the unconscious thing? That we all do the same thing because we're all part of the collective unconscious? I gave you this homework to look it up. I did. (laughs) I didn't do my homework. Mom? (laughs) A dog ate my homework. No, no, you're looking at papers with <laughs> well, it's words exactly on them. what you sent me. Oh, okay. Look. Yeah, I got that directly from Wikipedia because I'm a terrible researcher. Well, all this stuff I researched, but I didn't do that. I was sorry. No, you didn't do it. Okay. So, so Google it or something, because isn't synchronicity when you fall into into step? S- that's yeah. That's what being synchronized is. So, so Carl Jung said it's like that events that seem to be coincidences are meaningful coincidences, but they don't really have to have a like a relationship to each other, but they seem like they're meaningful. Not just made to jack up motion with their hand. I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> yes, the world the world needs to know no. that you made a jack up motion. Well with your that's hand. that's he also called it a causal parallelism. So I mean he was a little bit of a I think he was just messing with us. I think so too. I think it's like, <laughs> what can I get these idiots to believe? What can I can throw out so many words and just because I was buddy buddy with Freud, they're gonna believe it, those idiots. Because to me, like not knowing anything about what I'm I'm reading a page about it now and it seems Still bonkers, but see, that's why I was telling you that yeah. I was doing, I was trying to do my homework, you were trying and I was reading and reading and saying, "Oh my God, I'm so dumb." So it's okay. Looking at a book now. Looking at a text. Take six. A textbook. Take twenty-two. <laughs> Stop it! Don't tell them. Uh, so it says for young, another important determinant of personality is synchronicity. So it's a determinant of personality. What? How does that determine your personality? So it's meaningful coincidence is what, that's a term that I've seen when I looked up synchronicity several times. It says it occurs when two or more events that have their own independent reasons for happening come together in a meaningful way. So it really is coincidence. 
but it's that they're coming together meaningfully and that that affects how we is it our personal and conscious is that where it's related to we should have known more about this before we started recording a podcast <laughs> hell if i know that's the answer i've given you okay i'm sticking with that's it. a pretty good answer <laughs> yeah yeah it's just things that happen that are actually coincidences but that change who we are that affect who we are i don't know you want to take another shot now i could have said that <laughs> <laughs> thanks carl <laughs> That was totally Listen, he useless. couldn't get a home run on it, all of it. I don't know how to sum this one up, Anna. This one's hard, again, because it's kind of lofty. And I think when people, like, you know, when we were talking about Freud, even though a lot of his theories have been sort of discounted, sort of thought of as just kind of crazy talk of a cocaine-addled mind, that we do still use a lot of his theories. But I think when it comes to Carl Jung, we don't really... I think he was a really important theorist in history. I think he was a really important person in the development of psychology and psychology theory. But I, I don't think we use his theories as much as we use Freud's, even if we're not aware of it. I agree. Because like I've, I've never heard anyone really seriously talk about anything that, even if they're not saying like collective unconscious, they're not even implying that that's what they're thinking. So it's it's not like we use it and we're not aware of it. It's that these things are so lofty that we usually don't I would say them. we, you know, we do, you hear the introvert extrovert stuff. Right, yeah. And I would say that's, you know, what we hear most about young. Yeah, about. that's probably the one that's the most culturally used. And I would say there are things, I mean, again, if we're thinking of personal unconscious as the things that we've experienced that have made us who we are, then that is something that I personally use a lot in my own counseling, that everything that we've experienced makes us who we are. Right. And that, so I think that it, yeah, if I were going to put that under a theorist probably I would put it under young just because it is kind of personal unconscious but again it's also just regular unconscious like Freud, Freud talked about yeah it's Freud like he got that directly from Freud mm-hmm. so it's hard to know where you get that even if you're not being conscious about it like I'm a I'm a Jungian theorist like that's what I ascribe to so that's kind of hard it's kind of a hard line to draw and I mean again I I am a big subscriber to the idigo superego even if it's not as clear cut as that, I, I do think that's part of it. And I think Young refined it pretty well. I I, I think if I had to choose between Idigo Superego and like Persona Shadow Self, I would probably choose Persona Shadow Self because I think that's more applicable. Hmm. I don't know. Even though it's very, very similar. I was going to say, I don't think it's that different that you would subscribe to one and not the other. I think, especially the shadow part, like I, I think Id... Just thinking of the base desires, I think shadow encompasses more. Okay. I think shadow that. shadow is willing to say, you know. I would agree. It's not just like about sex. Right. It's like it's about not just like sex and the need for food and all that mm-hmm. other stuff that we think of as base desires. It's like being unkind to people and it's greediness and it's stuff that's not necessarily like base desires, but it's negative parts of ourselves that we don't want to acknowledge, but are part of our entire being and that we do kind of have to look at if we're going to be who we are. So I think shadow encompasses that a bit more. Okay. It's a good job, Carl. Good job, you got Carl. That's got- <laughs> not so great. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's part of it. Okay. Do you like any, do you like any of his ideas? Do you do you think no. you'll no <laughs> none of them? But you call him Carl. You call him. You call. I don't him have to like his, his first I- name. <laughs> I don't have and to you like his ideas. Disrespect him like that. Like I said, I am biased because I have 
always been very interested in the Jungian archetypes, like in media. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the day, I thought I was going to be a writer. So I, I, I am very interested in that kind of like you are met, still a writer. Meta theory. I don't write anything. You're a writer. <laughs> but I am very interested in that like meta theory of like how stories are made and how how characters are constructed. So I've I've always been kind of attuned to the Jungian archetype theory. I use the introvert extrovert stuff a lot. I think that connects with a lot of people because yeah. it is kind of a cultural thing at this right. point that it's more widespread. So when a, a client's sitting there and you're like, do you think you're more introverted or extroverted? Mm-hmm. They usually know what you mean. Yeah. Which is kind of nice. And it's, again, it empowers us to know it's okay if I don't want to be the life of the party. Mm-hmm. It's okay because that's just the way I'm I'm wired, mm-hmm. you know. Or it's okay if I do want to be the life of the party because that's the way I'm wired. So it goes back to that knowing yourself. and Right. And I think if we're going to give Young any points here, it's going to be that he contributed to what we have now, even in a little way, mm-hmm. that he kind of paved the way. And even if his ideas themselves were kind of out there, I mean, we still use some of them. Mm-hmm. Like we kept introvert extroverts, so we think that's a good idea. Well, I think it's like what we talked about before, that so much of the theory and psychology has built on, on the, on the previous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... In that way, he yeah. It's is hard. Very it's hard to take hard. any theory, right? Theory that we look at, or theorists that we look at, in a vacuum because they don't exist in a vacuum. Especially young. I mean, he was so ingrained with Freud that it's really hard. Right. It's like all of those people who did psychology are part of our collective unconscious. <laughs> but that's why I mean, like, even when he talked about the collective unconscious, what he what his theory of it was like when we're born and we're babies we know that our mom is our mom because of collective unconscious because she is the mother figure Mm -hmm. and that's how we know how to interact with her yeah that's interesting but to me i would call that evolutionary scientific like that that's a mammalian thing that we cling to our mothers i mean we'll we'll probably do an episode at some point about the harlow harlow the harlow monkey experiment where like nurturing and, and feeding and stuff like that. So mom has such a sad look on her face. I always think of that little monkey. I know, that that experiment. <laughs> Any picture from that experiment is like the oh, saddest it thing. it makes me so sad. Don't, don't look it up. It's really sad. <laughs> Let's end on a happy note, All right. shall we? What's the happy note? You have to give it because you suggested it. I have it. to give it? Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, if I were to end it on a positive note, I, I would say that I personally like these theories. I personally think I, I don't buy into it entirely. I don't buy into, you know, we store these things in our brain because of everything that's happened before us. I I think that there are common character tropes and ideas and images because even from the time we're born, we're in a culture and those cultures have typical ideas and images and symbology that they use Mm -hmm. so i think he was on the right track i just think he went way too mystical with it i think he attributed it to some like mystical unconscious that we have instead of just being like and we're born and we're in a society that uses castles as a symbol of fortification and that there's probably a treasure in it I think he went, like you said, a little bit too spiritual with it and a little bit too out there. I think he had a good idea, though. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it, if we're getting a little bit deep, is because he did split from his mentor and wanted to go so in the opposite direction that maybe he just went a little bit too wild. Yeah. And that he he wanted to delineate himself so, so far from Freud that he chose to 
make some really weird theoretical choices. I mean, just like anyone, Carl Jung was a guy. And he was just a guy trying to do his best. Just a person. Just a dude doing trying their to best do his best. You know, even if we don't talk about him as much as we talk about Freud, he had a very important role in making theory. I think that's cool. That is cool, Anna. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> should we... Uh, and so <laughs> salute to Carl Jung. Jung. That's, um, that's exactly how he would want us to say his name. And so we should... Thank everybody for joining us. Yes. Again. Yes. It's good to have you with us. Yes. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us online many, many places. The main place is FreudianTipsPod.com. That has links to everywhere else you can follow us, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all by the name FreudianTipsPod if you just want to get there. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us through the site or you can email us at FreudianTipsPod at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing and you want to help us with hosting costs or buying boxed wine, <laughs> like so fancy, uh, you can support us on Patreon, also by the name Frodian Sips Pod. And I didn't mention this last time that if you are listening to us on iTunes, and I believe Stitcher has this as well, please rate us. Please leave a positive comment. If you like what we're doing, uh, if you want to rate us highly, then that helps other people find us. And then you can share the Freudian Sips love with all of your friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Spread the love. So please leave us a good rating if you're listening to us on one of those things. So as I said, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher. We are also on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We are on SoundCloud. We are on all those places, wherever you find podcasts and find audio entertainment, we're there. <laughs> Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.